of winning is important because we have to make sure we have the right criteria for winning, the right criteria for victory. And according to this text that we're looking at, belief in Jesus added to loving God and people plus obedience, living our lives in accordance with God's prescription equals winning. Everybody likes to win, right? win enough in the right field of competition and you get your name in books and even have statues made to commemorate your success. Today, Pastor Daniel is going to talk about what winning looks like from God's perspective. Along the way, you're going to learn some interesting math equations that should help you to remember the things that matter to God and how to be pleasing to Him. Now here's Pastor Daniel in 1 John chapter 5 as he begins his message, God is Life. We're closing out our study in 1 John that we're calling God is underlined. Chapter 5 of John's first epistle, we're going to learn that God is life. 1 John chapter 5, as we close out this great book, this great series, God is, if you are tweeting, hashtag CCC, God is, to join that conversation. It's all about life, isn't it? Oscar Wilde said it this way, to live is the rarest thing in the world. Most people exist. That is all. It's a fascinating statement. Because when we think of life, biblically speaking, we're not just talking about living and breathing, being here. Life is something more than just existing, just surviving. There is a quality to life. As I reflected on that, I thought to myself, you know, God, I, I do a decent job of existing, but do I do a good job of living? Do I do a good job of living? John Lennon said, life is what happens when we're busy doing other things. So I really want to ask you, as we study today, as we study this chapter, to simply ask yourself, ask the Lord, Lord, in what ways am I just existing? And in what ways can I be really living in you? And I believe that God's word is going to unpack that for us in very special ways today. I wanted to do something fun, and so I don't know about you guys. I'm not very good at math at all. It wasn't my strong suit. I was grateful for a calculus professor in college who, for some reason, took a liking to me and really helped me along at that. But don't worry, we're not going to do any calculus. There's not going to be any integers or anything like that. I'm just going to do simple addition. Because even my son Obadiah is rocking addition right now. 2 plus 2 equals 4. 20 plus 5 equals 25. He's dialed in. So I figured that we all, for the most part, get addition. So all of my points today are going to be in the form of an equation. But it'll be an addition equation. So it'll be kind of fun for you. Let's look at... First John chapter 5. 
We'll jump right on in here. Beginning in verse 1. If you're looking for it, it's towards the back of your Bible. 1 John 5, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. For by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, these five verses teach us a very simple math equation. Belief plus love plus obedience equals victory. Belief plus love plus obedience equals victory. Now, I get all of these phrases right here from the text. That's where I got it from. I just picked each one out. Notice what it says. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's belief. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, the simple ascent of the head, the heart, and the will that says Jesus is God's son, Jesus is God's anointed, the Messiah, God's chosen one, that belief plus love. Notice it. Right away, it jumps right on in. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. So the love is to God and to people. That's the way God wants it. If we're begotten of him, if we're born of him, just like Jesus is, then we love God and we love people, right? That plus obedience. Look at how this continues. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Keeping God's commandments, that speaks of simple obedience and then equals victory. Because verses four and five, the word overcome shows up three times and the word victory comes once. Now, so belief plus love plus obedience equals victory. Now, why is this important? Because the concept of victory or winning is very common in our culture. I never expected the word winning to elicit chuckles. But some of you have watched a, a, a famous actor named uh, Charlie Sheen. I remember when I was growing up, he was in a, a movie called Major League, and it was about baseball, so I thought it was great. But Charlie Sheen is an actor. He was on a, a, a sitcom called Two and a Half Men, and, and he's kind of devolved into kind of being a, like kind of a parlor show kind of a guy. He just does all these interviews, and, and all he does is talk about winning. And in Charlie Sheen's mind, winning is just doing whatever he wants to do, living like a 1970s rock star. Pretty girls, lots of drugs, partying, a big bank account, and he's winning. And what's interesting is if we think about it, we all have a certain conception of what winning is. For some of us, it's if I just lose those last few pounds, I formalize a relationship. 
I attain to a certain socioeconomic status. I have my kids return my love to me that I give to them. And what's interesting is none of these things are necessarily wrong. But there's nothing worse than having the wrong definition of winning. It's like in baseball, as you all know, don't hate me for it. I'm a New York Yankees fan. Don't hate the player, just hate the game. (laughs) But listen, I understand why when I say that I'm a New York Yankee fan, if you do it on the East Coast, you still get heckled because there's Mets fans there, you know? So it's okay. But I realize that as a Yankee fan, the reason people don't like the Yankees is the Yankees buy all the best players or who used to be the best players. And we just pay them a lot of money for them to decline before our eyes. And so I get that. I mean, all those 27 championships, we'll just put that on the side too. But the idea, think about this. There are some athletes who their idea of victory is winning batting titles, home run crowns. It doesn't matter if their team's losing because it's all about them. So what good is it to attain your production goals in sports and have your team lose? So in that case, somebody who has the wrong definition of victory may win, but ultimately, they lose. So the idea of winning is important because we have to make sure we have the right criteria for winning, the right criteria for victory. And according to this text that we're looking at, belief in Jesus added to loving God and people plus Obedience, living our lives in accordance with God's prescription equals winning. That's the proper definition of what victory is. Belief in Jesus. What that means, if you do not believe in Jesus and you do everything else, you still do not come to victory. You don't. Now, I realize that some people would say, you know, Pastor Daniel, Who are you to say that? You know what I want to say? I'm nobody. I'm just telling you the heart of God. If you could have gotten to God and been victorious in any other way, Jesus would never have had to be the crucified prophet and teacher. He wouldn't have had to be. But because he was, we have a responsibility to say, you're right, Lord. I can't do it on my own. So belief in Jesus plus love. And notice, it's vertical love. We love God, and then we love people. We love God, and then we love people. And the way we learn how to love people is by first loving God. You and I can never love people properly until we love God, because then we learn how God loves. And reality check for all of us, God loves way differently than we do. Because God's love is not situational. It's not circumstantial. It's not based on if we love him back. God loves because God is love. And God's love is proactive all the time. Where our love is always reactive, isn't it? If you love me, I love you back. If you give to me, I give you back. So because loving God, then we can love people. But it's not enough just to say, I believe in Jesus And I love people. There's that third part of the equation, obedience. 
And that's the sticky one, isn't it, in church? For the bulk of this room, belief in Jesus comes naturally. Or we've put our faith and trust, and we're like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Loving God and loving people, even if we don't do it perfectly, we know we ought to do it. But that obedience piece, that's the sticky one. Why? Because in our hearts, we all like to be rebellious children. It just comes so perfectly natural to us. We love to go our own way. Over and over in these verses, look at what it says. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Verse 3, look at this. And his commandments are not burdensome. John 14, 15. If you love me, Jesus said, what? Keep my commandments. It's John 14, 15. Now, look at what it talks about, about overcoming and victory. Verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? See, that's where victory really is. True biblical winning, victory, is walking in the steps that God has ordained for you. Being the man or the woman that Jesus died and rose again that we would be. And for each one of us, we are learning what that is. If we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we've been declared right, but we're in the process of experiencing that rightness. And if you want a simple way to remember, listen, belief in Jesus plus loving God and loving people plus obedience to what God has revealed to us in his word, that is where victory comes. And that victory is over the world. And the world in the Bible is about a way of living that is in rebellion against God. And we all know rebellion against God, don't we? We've all experienced it on a daily basis. We know what we ought to do, but we want to do something else, right? I knew that I didn't want to go back for another slice of pizza, but I just thought to myself, you know, that's a really good slice of pizza. I only put down two and then a bunch of my kids crust, which I was grateful for. You know, that next step, you know, I had to spend a little extra time at the gym over that one. And I'm being cheeky a little bit. But there's that part of us, the victory is over our rebellion. And living in a way that we see in the world just doesn't honor God and doesn't honor people. And all you need to do is open up the newspaper, look on the news on the internet, and that's what you find. Now, so the first one, belief plus love plus obedience equals victory. Look what happens next, verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness. Now, I'm going to keep going. Some of your Bible translations don't have this little phrase here. It says, in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit... And these three are one, and there are three that bear witness on earth. So some of you didn't have that in your Bible, but now it'll continue. The spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. He who believes in the son of God 
has the witness in himself, he who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life and he who does not have the son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. You see why today is called God is life, right? That phrase comes up over and over again. But what's the equation in these verses? Jesus' incarnation plus The Spirit's witness equals eternal life. Jesus' incarnation plus the Spirit's witness equals eternal life. Now again, I'm just lifting these little equations right out of here. How do I know? Verses 6 to 8 speak specifically of Jesus' incarnation. Notice, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness. This idea of Jesus coming of water and blood. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Scholars have argued about what this means as long as Christians have been reading John's epistle. Okay, but almost everybody comes down on the reality that Jesus coming of water and blood has to do with his humanity. If you've ever seen a child be born, water comes. Very simple. Being born of blood. Most people say it speaks of Jesus' crucifixion. These verses are all about Jesus' incarnation. That's what it's all about. Now, some people see it as a type of when Jesus was on the cross and gave him the spear, water and blood poured out. Some people say, oh, that's it. Some people talk about the sacraments, baptism and communion. Baptism is water baptism, communion. And you can find people arguing about it. But the reality is, if you look at all the different viewpoints and you deduce it down to what's it really talking about, is that Jesus is real, that Jesus came. If you remember when I was reading, there are some disputed verses. Verse 7 and the beginning of verse 8. I'm going to just touch this really briefly. Because in the New King James or the King James Bible, those verses are included in almost all the other translations. They're not. It's a very overt reference to the Trinity. In heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. These three agree as one. That is not in the majority of manuscripts. That's why a lot of your newer translations don't have it. The King James and New King James have it. Now, what do we do with that? Simply this. You don't need that verse to prove the Trinity. And what this shows us more than anything is that at some point, it would seem, don't know for sure, that a copyist added a little footnote on there that made it into the text. And so what this really shows us is this, is that modern Enlightenment-minded textual criticism has actually been very good to us in the Bible. Because if you take out all the disputed verses, if you just remove them, you don't lose any doctrine. We don't need that verse to prove the Trinity. 
We have it everywhere else. Just read Ephesians chapter 1, the first 14 verses. Read the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3. I mean, it's all there. So then you say, well, then how can we believe that the Bible is inspired if this thing is there? Because there's no doubt someone here is like, oh, well, see, that's how we know the Bible's not true. Skeptical, brother and sister, listen to me for a second. You're not thinking through it. You are just accepting what is a very common cultural misconception about the Bible. Because the Bible does not teach that God wrote the Bible. The Bible teaches that God inspired humans to write the Bible. Now, this is before the printing press. And the early church was not living in an ivory tower copying these. They were persecuted for 300 years. So these letters are being copied by candlelight under threat of punishment for 300 years. So there is the divine author who inspires the human author. So it's not like an ivory tower theologian who's just copying this stuff. They're underground making copies of this. And then think about it. If you look at every single work of antiquity, writings of antiquity, go to any classics department in any university, say, what has the most manuscripts of a writing of antiquity? And you know what they're going to tell you? The Bible. And the Bible has about seven times more manuscripts than the next nearest document, which is, you know what it was? Homer's the Iliad. And have you ever met someone who said, Homer didn't really write the Iliad that way? Have you ever? Anybody? No, right? Seven times more manuscript. The Bible's not really reliable. That's nuts. I remember in college hearing all this stuff and thinking to myself, I wonder why they don't want us to read the Bible so much. Ah, that's the question. The question is, is if you are here and saying, oh no, we can't trust the Bible because a, because a scribe at some juncture, there's not one manuscript with that verse in it before the 12th century. 1,200 years. So if you're going to say, because over 1,200 years, and this is still before the printing press, before a, a, a picture was able to be taken, before a computer, the whole thing, you're going to say that one scribe writing something in a margin that makes it in is going to cause you to say that this whole book isn't reliable? Talk about intellectual dishonesty. Talk about a lack of logic. So if you're here today and you're saying, hey, I have logical issues with the reliability of the Bible, I'm telling you, you haven't done your homework at all. You don't have logical issues. You have moral issues. And the main moral issue, the main moral issue, and believe me, I had a PhD in this. The main moral issue is that you do not want Jesus to lord over you because you want to be your own lord. But the thing is, is what you don't realize and what I didn't realize, and I'm so grateful that we're here talking about, is this, is that when I think I'm my own Lord, I'm really not. There's actually somebody else who has lordship over me, and that's Satan. Jesus is Pastor Daniel talked about God's love today and how as God's followers, we should display the same sort of love towards the people we're around. He reminded us that our narcissistic nature gets in the way. We need God's help through the Holy Spirit to change us to be like God wants us to be. When that happens, we can learn to enjoy life the way God intended us to enjoy it. 
everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore His people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel finishes his teaching, God is Life. You're going to learn about prayer, answered prayer, and unanswered prayer. Pastor Daniel will talk about God's nature, what he is and what he is not. This should be an illuminating teaching for everyone. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.